This week's parsha is Parshas Yisrael. And the Torah tells us, by Kabbalah Satera, V'chol ha'am rayim es ha'kailais, that the nation saw the sounds. They saw the sounds, that's a very strange mix of words, because normally sounds are heard, they're not seen. That's not the normal way that our body functions, that we're able to see sounds. We see things, we see objects, but we don't see sounds. And Rashi, of course, points that out. Rayan es hanishma, he says. This was an unusual experience that Klal Yisrael were able to see the nishma, to see what was heard. Something that was impossible at any other time to do, but suddenly at Matantaira we were able to experience this very strange phenomenon of being able to see the kailis. And we have to understand what this means. You can understand it, obviously, kapshutai, that there was something physical about the kailis, but perhaps there's a deeper understanding. B'derach Klau, generally speaking, we listen to things, we hear things, but we don't really change as a result of what we hear. We might go to a shmuz, and it might be a very good message and an inspirational message, but we get up and... That's the end of it. We hear a drasha, we go to a shir, we hear a sicha, we see something, and we're moved, but it's very temporary, and we don't really have major takeaway from it. And that's wrong. In life, when a person sees something and experiences something and hears something, they're really supposed to actualize whatever it is that they heard. They're supposed to put into action the message that they have heard. The experience should not just dissipate, but it should be made into somehow a concrete reality. The Ramban, in his famous Igeris, in his famous letter, writes, Kasher Sefer, he writes to his son, that when you get up from a sefer, you're learning a sefer. It might be a chumash, it might be a, a sefer taira, it might be a, a gemara. But when you get up from that sefer, tachzar al asher You should chazar what you just learned. Im asher tuchal If there is something that you could take away from it, is there a message that you could actually take away and experience? And if there is, then you should be doing that. Meaning, when you hear something, when you experience something, it should never stay in the, re- in the realm of just, okay, I heard it, that's not enough. A person, says the Ramban, has to actualize it. You have to do something about it. A lot of times you get an aliyah in shul, and maybe this is what the Ramban is referring to also, 
there's a reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranged that you should get a particular aliyah. You might get Shlishi, Chamishi, Levi, whatever it is, but there's a message for you in that aliyah. And even if you don't think there is, there probably is. And when you learn a specific Gemara or uh, you learn a Musr Sefer, don't be surprised if there is a if there is a message that's directed to you. A lot of times I give a shmooze and somebody comes over afterwards, might not be in person, it might be on Torah anytime, and they'll say, I don't know how it is, but you're always telling me the message that I needed to hear at that particular week that you delivered it. And obviously it's not Nebu, it's just that the Rabbi Shalom arranges that people should hear and experience different things at the time because that's what life is all about. Life is about experiencing things, but not just allowing it to re- remain in the realm of, I heard it, but then you have to actually make it real, materialize it. I always felt that this Ramban was L'shitasai, because there's a famous Ramban elsewhere, it's in the Kisver Ramban, where he says the following, there's a Pasuk in Shir Hashirim that says, Im ta'iru vim ta'iru which literally means that if you have a, if you have a yearning, if you have a hisairus, if something is nitarer inside of you, you have a, a surge of, of, of inspiration, which means literally until you desire it, or until you're found to be desirous. Different ways of understanding the, the Pasuk. But listen to the way the Ramban learns it. Im ta'iru vim ta'iru. If you have any hisairus in life, if you're nisairu to something, don't stop until you make it into a chefzon, until you make it into an actual physical thing. Materialize it. Make it real. If something is just, just hearing, I heard the shmuz, very nice, beautiful drasha, but it doesn't change you or me at all, then it's, a, it's wasted. What's the point? HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us not just to listen to Taira, but to make it a reality, to see it, to visualize it, to crystallize it so that it's actually a reality in our life. That's what the Rabbi Shalom wants from us. Rebbe Khanan Wasserman, Hashem Yinkam Damov, who is the Gadol Adar in, in Europe before before the war, he was the Talmud Mubak of the Chavetz Chaim. He, he was the closest Talmud of the Chavetz Chaim. In fact, one time, just to illustrate how close a Talmud to the Chavetz Chaim he was, and it's also a good part about the Kaya Hashmiah, he once heard the Chavetz Chaim give a, a shmuz, give a drasha, and then a few weeks later, the Chavetz Chaim gave the same exact shmuz. And another Talmud in yeshiva pointed this out to Rebbechan, how come the Rebbe gave an identical shmuz twice in a, you know, within a short time span? What's going on with the Chavetz Chaim? So he says, what are you talking about? It wasn't the same shmuz. There were three words that were different in this shmuz than the other shmuz. That's how close 
he was to listening and to hearing the Chavetz Chaim's Torah. And when the Chavetz Chaim was nifter, Rabbi Hanan gave a hesped for him, and he said a lot of Yisaitis in the hesped. But amongst the Yisaitis that he said was that, let's try to figure out what made the Chavetz Chaim the Chavetz Chaim. How did the Chavetz Chaim become the great world-renowned Sadiq Adar, who is really unparalleled in, in his age? There were many great Gedalim that in the times of the Chavetz Chaim, Reb Chaim Meiser and Reb Chaim Brisker and, and many, many others. Hasidish Rebbe's great Rebbe's. And, but the Chavetz Chaim was, was Miyuchat Sheba Edra. He was unique. How did, and all the whole world recognizes Hasidim and Litvish and, and, and everybody universally accepted the Chavetz Chaim as a Galadar, even though he tried to hide his greatness and he was, uh, he, he dressed like a simple person. He had a little cap and a short coat and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't trying to make any errors about himself, but the world picked up that he was so great. Where did his greatness lie? What was the secret to his his foundations, and, and how did he become the Chavetz Chaim? Sir Bochanan said, what made the Chavetz Chaim different than everybody else in the world is whatever the Chavetz Chaim learned, he actualized. He made it a chafza. He learned something and immediately he implemented it. He didn't wait and he didn't say, well, that's good, let me bookmark that for another day. If he learned something, he right away wanted to put it into practice. Rebbe Hanan said a story that when the Chavetz Chaim was a young boy, he was with a chevra, and they were, boys will be boys, and they wanted to take a, an apple. They were hungry, and they saw a woman in the shuk in the street that was selling apples from an apple cart. And they sort of made a plan amongst them that they would when she wasn't looking, tip over the apple cart and the apples would be flying all over the place. And while the chaos was taking place, the boys would each take an apple. Didn't sound like something the Chavetz Chaim would do. But anyway, this is how the story goes. And the Chavetz Chaim was part of this. He was a young boy. He didn't know any better. And he took an apple and he ate the apple. The Rebbe in Cheder, where the Chavetz Chaim attended, a couple of days later, was giving a shear about the importance of leisignayv not to steal, and he says it's terrible avera to steal from somebody else, and if you do, you have to return the aveda, you have to return the the, the geneva, the object that you took. And as soon as the chavetz chaim, as a little boy, heard this, he immediately remembered the story that he himself did with this lady. He went to his parents, he ran home, he went to his parents, he asked his parents for a coin, which was the, the worth of that apple that he took. He went to that lady in the shuk and he gave her that coin. He pretended to take the apple and then he put it right back into the pile of her apples and then he ran away. Rebbe Hanan said, that is the Chavetz Chaim. That is really demonstrative of the greatness of the Chavetz Chaim from an early age, and he didn't change. His entire life, whenever he heard something, and whenever he thought about something, he delivered, he did it. If he saw that the world was becoming lax in Shmiris Halashen, 
he made it his business, his life's mission, to write the Sefer Chavetz Chaim and Shmir Salashen, to sell it all over the place, to, to give drushes all over the world. And he really single-handedly brought back this forgotten mitzvah or avera of Lashon Hara. The reason why the world at least recognizes Lashon Hara as being an avera and being such a severe avera is because of one man, and that's the Chavetz Chaim. If not for the Chavetz Chaim, it would be like one of the mitzvahs that are nishkoches, that are forgotten, like so many other mitzvahs that are not really properly focused upon. The Chavetz Chaim saw something, he heard it, and he did it. He saw the world needed a, a sefer that would, that would summarize halacha in a very clear way, and he wrote the Mishnah Bur. It took him, he wanted other people to write, he didn't want to write the Mishnah, he, didn't, he went to the G'dayle HaPaiskim of the time, he said, this is what the generation needs. Would you be, please be able to write a running commentary on, on Shulchan Aruch HaRachayim? They said, no, we don't have time. He went to another, no, we don't have time. And then finally he says, okay, if nobody's doing it, I have to do it. So he, together with one of his sons, spent over 20 years of his life in an attic in Radin writing the Mishnaburah. And it was a very, you can imagine what, what it was like. They didn't have computers then. The Chavetz Chaim had a very meager library. He didn't have a, he didn't, he wasn't sitting in Oxford or something that he had access to every single library. He didn't have a, a Barilan or something that he was able to cut and paste different. He had to find these svarim, all the, the thousands of svarim that he marshals in his Sharetzian. All of this was, was, he did it on his own together with his son for 20 years. And one time his son, they were learning like a very difficult sugi together, maybe Erevin, and the son is saying, you know, Tati, is anyone going to actually appreciate what we're doing here? The son writes that his father was spitting up blood. He was so, it was so difficult for him. The, the, the work of writing this Mishnabur was so arduous that he was literally getting sick from it. And the son said, what are we doing this for? Is anyone going to hop how much we, we worked on this? We toiled so diligently. Is any, he says, we're not doing it for people. We're doing it for the Rabbi Nisham. This is what needs to be done, and we're going to do it. And the Chavetz Chaim, on every level, Avas Chesed, he wrote a whole sefer on Chesed and Gemachs and, the, and the, the importance of giving the proper amount of tzedakah and doing Chesed. Whatever the Chavetz Chaim, he wrote Kuntresim, dozens and dozens of Kuntresim about every different, every facet of Klai Yisrael that he felt needed it, he went and he made it his business to do that. He made it into a chefza. That was the greatness of the Chavetz Chaim. I believe just parenthetically that that's also the pshat in the beginning of this parsha of Vayishma Yisrael. And Rashi says, Mashmua Shama Uba. What did Yisrael hear that inspired him to come? What does that mean? What, what's the question? The, the Pasuk says, he says, the pshat is that the whole world, Yisrael is unique. Yisrael is unique because the whole world heard about Kriyas Yamsuf. How do I know the whole world heard about Kriyas Yamsuf? Because Chazal tells us that it wasn't just the Yamsuf that split, but it was every body of water in the world. If you were drinking a cup of orange juice on that, on that day of, of, of Kriyas Yamsuf, your orange juice would split into two parts. 
Your cereal would, the milk in your cereal would split into two parts. The local pool would split into, the mikvahs, everything was splitting into two. The whole world understood that there was Kriyas Yamsuf. The whole world knew that there was Melchemes Amalek. It was a world famous world war that Amalek attacked, attacked Klai Yisrael. Rashi says that it was like a, an ambatio, like a, Klai Yisrael were, were, were like a hot bath. Nobody wanted to touch Klal Yisrael because they were untouchable. They were God's people. They just got out of Egypt. Here comes Amalek and he puts his foot into the hot tub and shows the world they're not so hot. So the whole world knew about this. This was not a, a local event. That the whole, it wasn't just Yisrael. Yisrael and millions of other people knew about Kriyas Yamsuf. They knew about Mohammed Amalek. So Chazal want to know Mashmu Shama Uba. What made Yisrael different, that he of all people, there should have been millions of people coming and converging on Klai Yisrael, trying to become part of Klai Yisrael, becoming this guy here like, like Yisrael. But Yisrael was unique in the sense that he didn't just hear it. It wasn't just Vayishma Yisrael. It was Shmua Shama Uba. He got up and he actually did something about it. He didn't say, wow, that's impressive, good for them. Klal Yisrael, I, my, I take my hat off to you. You got out of Mitzrayim. You have God on your team. Good for you. He was Shama. He heard something. And then Uba. He actualized it. He did something. He actually put on his coat, packed his bags, and went out into a midbar to join Klal Yisrael. That's a tremendous madrega. Maybe that's why the parsha of Mount Taira is in the parsha of Yisrael. Because Yisrael, we should all be like Yisrael. Yisrael was a person that was Shama, and then he, he was Ba. But I think that that might be the Pshat in the Chazal that we started with this morning about that Klal Yisrael by Matan Taira were Royim Es HaKailais. And Rashi said, Royim Es HaNishma. They heard, they saw what was heard. It's impossible to do that. You can't normally see what was heard. So what does that mean? All of a sudden, they saw letters flying at them? Maybe. But perhaps on a deeper level, what it means is that Klal Yisrael were inspired at Mantaira, but they didn't let their inspiration dissipate like we normally do. This was a once-in-a-world-history in a, in a event, Mantaira, and it had to be right. It had to be like the Chavitz Chaim. It had to be like the Ramban. It had to be Atshatechbots. Klal Yisrael said, Nasevinishma. What does that mean, Nasevinishma? Nasevinishma is that before we even hear it, we're already actualizing it. We're going to do it. We're not going to just hear it and say, wow, that's a nice thing. Shabbos, I like that idea. That's, a, that's very nice. Zachar Shabbos Beautiful. I like that. No, no, no. I'm seeing Shabbos. I'm going to put Shabbos into action. I'm going to, I could visualize Shabbos. I could see myself making Shabbos, making Kiddush, keeping away from the Lamates Malachas, having my family sit around the Shabbos table and sing Zmiras, my wife lighting her Shabbos candles. It was Ryan Es HaKailas. They were able to not just hear it, but they, they made themselves accepting of it Lamaisa. I could see the kailais. I could visualize the kailais. I could actualize it. Nasa kaidam anishma. 
I'm going to do, I'm not going to just allow, Nishma, if I would just hear it, okay, nice, let's move on. What's next? What, what else do you got? I'm a cabal on myself. Before I even hear anything, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. When a person is able to have that attitude, then you could become Klal Yisrael. You could become the Dar of Kabbalah Satira. There are always people that listen to things. Many people come to a lot of shmuzin and, and listen to a lot of drushas and go to a lot of sichot and shirim and read a lot of svarim. Very, very many of them. Obviously, there, there's, there's many people that do that. But there are only yechidim, there are only unique individuals that are able to immediately try to implement whatever it is that they're, that they're hearing. To be roya sanishma, to be able to see what was heard. And to, when I say see, I mean to put it into real acheftza, to make it visible to you. How am I going to be able to bring this yisait into my life practically? I learned about something today. Okay, so what do I do about it? How do I make that a reality for me? That's what Musr is all about. Musr is all about the Kayach HaDimyan. If you look at the, the great Bali Musr, the Alter von Kellum was famous for this, that you always have to put something in, you have to have a Kayach HaDimyan. That's why Musr a lot of times involves a lot of Mishalim, a lot of uh, parables. And there was great... Uh, Magidim, the Dubna Magid, who had the famous Svarim, all on Mishal, Mishle Yaakov. I have at home a saver, Mishle Yaakov. It's all Mishalim, every parasha, Mashal after Mashal. Why, why Mishalim? Why is it so important to give good Mishalim? Because a Mashal brings something to life. It's not just like a random, uh, you know, concept. But if I could actually, if I could say there's a king, and there's a prince, and there's a princess, and then there's a robber, and there's a... Now all of a sudden it, 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 it comes to life. And Chazal do this all the time. Chazal all the time, they bring things to life by, by giving a mushal or by telling it with a story. Every story in Shas and in Midrashim are, are there for lessons for us. But it's in order to accomplish this, that we should not just say, that's a nice thought, but we should actually figure out a way to implement the, the thought. One of the beautiful things about the Aleshur, for instance, Aleshur is the, is the Revolbi's classic, I guess it's a Musser Sefer, I, I, would, I would call it more of a Machshaba Sefer than Musser, it's not really, you know, classic Musser, it's more intellectual Musser, it's very Machshabadik. But what he does is, which may be contributed to its immense popularity, at the end of every chapter, at the end of every chapter, after he goes through something, whether it's Simcha, or whether it's uh, Avaidar, whether it's Seder, whatever it is that he's trying to show, or Yom Taivim, Shabbos, whatever it is that he, he brings down a little paragraph which he entitles Uvda. What does it mean, Uvda? Uvda is, okay, now that we have something, let's, let's put it into practice. Lemaisa. How are we going to take what we just learned and instead of keeping it, oh, that's a nice, beautiful, brilliant. How are we going to do something about it? And he says, Kabbalists, like practical Kabbalists, let's do this. 
So I'll give you one thing that he says for Friday night, which is Nagea for us tonight. He speaks a beautiful piece about Shabbos and what Shabbos is and what Einig Shabbos is all about and how you have to be Mechabit Shabbos and what Shabbos is in terms of Bria Sa'ilam and how there's three components, there's three Shabbosim in every Shabbos, there's Shabbos of, of Bria Sa'ilam and there's Shabbos of Ma'antar and there's Shabbos of Lassad Lava and how every Suda corresponds. Brilliant. Mom is a brilliant piece. But I would just leave it like that. Okay, you have your brilliant piece. Goodbye. He says, Uvda, here's what we're going to do about it. And he says, okay, Friday night, the first bite of challah and gefilte fish that you have, have in mind L'Kavit Shabbos Kaidish. Because that's going to mamish make the, the Shabbos, you're going to be ma'anig the Shabbos with the food. It's very unusual to do that. He didn't have to do that. Why did he do that? Because if you're not doing that, then it's all lost on us. Musr, machshava, halacha, if you're not willing and able to put it into practice, it's just the realm of like, it's just academic, it's not real. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants everything to be brought l'maysa. We're not always perfect, we're not. We're, we live in a world of maysa. We try to do things well, we try to avoid averis and do it. Sometimes we slip up. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands that. But we have to try, if we learn something, to do it. Because that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. I once heard from Avaran Shechter, a beautiful Yisait. He once told me that there's a, a Yerushalmi, it's brought in uh, Mesul Sisharim. And the Yerushalmi says that if you learn Taira, Shaloya Menas Lasais, you learn Torah not to do. You're just learning it nice, esoteric. I'll learn about Hilchah Shabbos, but I'm not planning on putting it into action. I, I, I know Hilchah's better backwards and forward, but for Lamaisa, I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I don't actually do that. You know, I'm not, not that mockbit on this, and I'm not that mockbit on that, but I know it. If you're like that, if you like learning, but you're not actually putting it into action, Nayach loy nivra. It's better that you had not been created. It's a very strong word in Chazal. If you learn, I'm learning. I'm in yeshiva, I'm learning. It's beautiful. But I'm not putting it into, into action. It's better, it would be better had you not been born. What's that? So Rav Aaron said this beautiful Yisrael to me. He said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world. He created this world. How did he create this world? It's a Zayar. It's a Medrash. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looked into the Taira. Taira is the blueprint of the world. He created the world from the Taira. What does that mean in our, in our language? It means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Laimed Amanas Lasis. His learning of Taira was in order to do. This is the ultimate doing. Look at what we're living in a world that was created by the Torah, by the Limanat Torah. Limanat Torah did not stay academic to the Rabbani Shalach. put it into practice. We have to follow suit. And if we don't, it's we have no place in this world. Because this whole world, the DNA of this world, is built on a Limanat What we learn, we have to try as best we can to immediately implement. 
This week, I was coming out of my car in the driveway. You know, I have a driveway here, T4, and um, and uh, um, so it was all freshly paved. It was, you know, the workers had had shoveled the entire driveway, all the driveways, which is a big. It's a big deal. I tried dro- shoveling my driveway. It was like it took me a long time, and I ended up just having to hire somebody. But it was. Uh, I was waiting for yeshiva guys to come. Nobody offered. But anyway, um, so it was a. Uh, so I was coming out of my car, and somebody came over to me. I'm not going to say who. And he said that when they were shoveling the walk, like the day before, he came over. He saw they were working so hard, all the workers. So he went and he made them hot chocolate, and he brought it. He brought it to them. And that was it. They appreciated it. But then he said he remembered a schmooze that I had given not so long ago, actually. It was on a Shabbos a couple of months ago, maybe. And the schmooze was basically about, it was Parshat Vayichi, and a long story, but basically the point of the schmooze was that it's better to give somebody a smile than to give them a hot chocolate. Even though giving a hot chocolate, and this was like the example that I was giving at the time, giving a hot chocolate takes a lot of work, or you have to go to Dunkin' Donuts and get a whole thing and bring it, you know, but if you give a person a smile instead of that, it's, it's more valuable, because a smile means that you, you appreciate the person, you make a person feel good about themselves, they feel relevant, they feel like they have friends, Giving a hot chocolate parv is just, you know, like just without a smile, just giving it is, it's, it's chasha, but it's not really on the same league as even giving a smile, which is free. You don't have to do anything. Just give a guy a smile. Okay, that was the shmooze. He said, I gave them a hot chocolate, but I didn't smile. I just gave it to them. Like it was, I was, you know, like I was doing them the favor. And then I came back into my apartment. I remembered the schmooze, and I went back outside in the cold, and I said to them, thank you so much for, for paving all the, for shoveling all the walks. And that story was very heartwarming for me. Because that's the tachlis. The tachlis of, of any shmuz, of any rav, of any rabbi, of anyone that gives anything, is that it should actually be implemented. Nice words are really very... Superficial. A lot of people could talk very nicely. A lot of people give good speeches, and but when it's implemented, when it's royan as hanishma, when people can actually say, "I'm not going to just take that shmuz. I'm going to do something about. It. I'm going to actually. I'm going to follow up on that. Whatever the shmuz is about, whatever the drush, whatever the sefer that you're learning about, it, like the Ramban says." You get up from the Sefer, think about it. What did I get? What? Okay, we just had Musr Seder. What did I learn from this Sefer? Is it just like Musr for the sake of Musr? Or is it for practical change? What could I take from what I learned today? What could I take from the Kriya Satira that I heard? What could I take from a Rashi that I just, that I just saw? From a shmuz, from a sicha, from a from a class that I heard online, what, whatever it is, what's the takeaway? What's the practical takeaway? 
That's what should filter through your mind every time, and my mind, every time that we hear anything. Say, okay, that's great, it's beautiful. What can I do practically? How could I change? How could I put this into action? And there's so many people that do this. How many organizations were started because somebody heard a shmuz? You know, the, the Beis Yaakov movement, which is one of the, the wonders of Klai Yisrael's history. We take it for granted that there are girls' yeshivas, girls' schools, girls' Beis Yaakovs. It's like, uh, of course, obviously. It wasn't always that way. In the, in the 1800s, if you would say, I want to open up a Beis Yaakov, they would literally like, put, like, you know, put you in cherem. It wasn't an accepted thing. Girls were not supposed to be having formal Torah education. It just, not they weren't supposed to, they just, it just wasn't a thing. It just wasn't accepted. Girls were supposed to get their chinuch from home and learn a little tenorena Friday night with their mother, say some tilim, maybe a little navi, and, and that's it. That's it. Well, this supposed to be a, a school with halachas and halachas shabbos and halachas this and halachas that and, you know, tests and, 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 and plays and skits and, 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 and a chevra. That wasn't a given. That wasn't a given. There was one woman. Her name was Sarah Schneer. She was a seamstress. She made dresses in Krakow, Poland. And she saw what was going on. What was going on? a lot of girls were going off the derech. They weren't interested in Yiddishkeit. Because there was a Haskala. Haskala was very powerful and very tempting. And, you know, music and dance and theater and the Yiddish. The, all, a lot of things were becoming, making the, the shtetl very secularized. And Sarashner saw that if this trend continues and more and more girls were peeling away from Yiddishkeit, there wouldn't be a Klai Yisrael anymore because it's true that the yeshivas were very strong in Europe for the boys. So you had all the, the yeshivas that we know about in Baranovich and Mir and Radin and, uh, you know, Panovich, all, all the great yeshivas of Europe. But if there are no counterparts to the boys, then what's it worth? It's not going to happen. So she went and she decided we're going to make a Beis Yaakov movement. The word Beis Yaakov, by the way, is, uh, is from this week's parsha. Kaisaimar le Beis Yaakov, Besagid le Rashi says Beis Yaakov, Elan Nashim. The house of Yaakov is a reference to women. She called to Beis Yaakov. Before she did it, she went to the Chavetz Chaim, and she went to the Ger Rebbe, and she went to other G'dayle Yisrael to get their Haskama, to get their official approval to do this very revolutionary idea. And she was, a lot of people were not happy with the idea, but she pushed it through. And she died very young, but before she died, at a very young age, within a, sk- a span of a few years, maybe 10 years, maybe, I don't think even that much, she had already had a network that she started of around Europe, and then it spread to America, or to Israel, of over 35,000 young women, within a span of a, of, of a decade, nothing. 35,000, it's a lot. And from there, it just grew and grew and grew. And today, you know, there's, who knows, hundreds of thousands of girls that go to Beis Yaakov's or, 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 or schools like Beis Yaakov's. Now, how did this happen? What inspired Sarah Schneer to start this? She was a seamstress. She wasn't born as a, as a mechaneches. She was a seamstress. The story goes as follows. She was in a, in a shul, and I believe it was in... Vienna, 
and there was a certain Rav, his name was Rabbi Fleisch. If I'm getting the facts right, this is very, um, I'm, I'm sort of ad-libbing here, but I believe a lot of these facts are right. And she was sitting in the shul's Hanukkah, Shabbos Hanukkah. Her family had moved temporarily to Vienna, and she was listening to him, and he gave a drasha. And the, in the drasha, he quoted her of Shamsha Rafal Hirsch, speaking about Yehudas, who was the heroine of Hanukkah. And he was basically speaking about the greatness of Jewish women and how they so often throughout history, from Mitzrayim and Purim and, and, and Hanukkah and all the great Yom Taivim, many, very often, if not always, the salvation always lied with the Jewish woman, with the Nashim Tzedkanias. And Klai Yisrael will always be rescued with the greatness of a Jewish woman. And Sarshner was like listening to this and she was just like absorbing it like a sponge. She couldn't get enough. And then she went to another class, another class, and she started like reading the svarim that he was quoting. And, and she was like self-educating herself until she decided that this needs to be done right now. Now is the time to do it. And against all odds and with a lot of public, public pushback against her, she succeeded beyond her wildest expectation. In fact, um, Reb Chatzko Sarna once said at a bris, he spoke at a bris, and there was like descendants, it was a very chashiva bris, like this child descended from all the great rabbis and rosh yeshivas, whatever, a lot of yichas at this bris. And he said, who is the person who did the most for Klal Yisrael in the last hundred years? And of course, you know, the Enikla of the Chavitz Chaim were there, they were like, patting themselves on the back as the Chavetz Chaim, the the Ger Rebbe's, the Ger Rebbe's, this Rebbe, that Rebbe, this Rosh Hashiva, that Rebbe. He says, no, you're all wrong. He says, it was, wasn't even a man. It was a woman by the name of Sarashner. She saved Klal Yisrael. If not for her, Klal Yisrael would not be around anymore. Amazing. And all from the power of a speech all from the power of the fact that she heard a drasha. She didn't say, that's a nice speech, and then go to sleep Shabbos afternoon. Or say at the Shabbos, boy, that rabbi, he packs a punch. He really, you know, a great orator. If she would have said that, like everyone else that walked out of shul that Shabbos morning, who knows what we would have today. But she was raya esanishma. She heard it, and then she saw it. She saw immediately how I'm going to change Kal Yisrael as a result of what I just heard. This speech was directed not to the person next to me, it was directed to me. And this is true every time you hear something, every time you see something, there's a message from Hashem. The message might be to learn Torah, the message might be to start a, start a, a new organization, to do chesed, to go visit a hospital, to go, uh, I don't know, to do... Uh, join a chaver kadisha, join a v'yashaymer in a funeral home, join Hatzalah, chaverim, whatever it is, something, there's something that you see and it should inspire you. Whatever it is, every person has his own tchunas hanefesh, has his own personal things that speak to him or to her, and, and, but that's what life is all about. Life is about not just hearing things. We're bombarded by messages all day long and different good ideas and nice veritlach and nice ideas. But how many people actually are like Yisrael that we're shama uba? We hear it and then we actually say, okay, let's do it. 
I'm not going to let it just stay in my notebook. I want to do it. That's the greatness of a ger. And that's the greatness of Klai Yisrael, who were Megayer through Matan Tyro. A ger is somebody, and we could extend it to a Bali Tshuva. We're living in, in a Tkufa that Bali Tshuva. Bali Tshuva, you know how... Imagine what a Bali Tshuva is. A Bali Tshuva is living... I know a lot of Bali Tshuva. They, they're not, you know, people that had no life and Nebuch, they had nothing else, so they, they decided to become from. I know a lot of Bali Tshuva. They were in college and they were the big man on campus. They were popular. They were athletic. They were... Alamilas, and for some reason they decided, maybe they heard a speech, a Chabad rabbi in NCSY or something, and they decided that they're going to change. They're going to be different. They're going to taka, be rayas, and they're gonna, they saw Shabbos. They saw Taras HaMeshpacha. They saw Kedusha. They saw Taira. They saw their, their future children. They saw something. They didn't just hear it. They actually saw the Nishma. That's unbelievable. To be shama uba, that's, that's not normal. Most people are shama in one ear, out the other ear. To be shama uba, to be rayan es anishma, that's something unique to Klal Yisrael. And that's what we should be aspiring to. When we hear something, when we have a message, when we see something, it's a message to us. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is it just going to stay a message and, and forget about it, let it just blow in the wind like smoke? Or is it something that we could actually take and bring it lamaisa in my own life, in Klai Yisrael's existence? That's the greatness of people. All the great people that you read about are people that, they didn't just hear it and say nice. That's what the, the masses do. If they even hear it and they don't fall asleep by the drasha, if they actually stay awake for the drasha, then they say, nice drasha, shkayach rabbi, great job, and then they move on. But the yechidim, the great people that are yechidim, that actually do something for Klai for themselves, the greatness begins because they saw something or they heard something, and then they visualized it and they were inspired to change and to do something, to make it into a chefza, to make it real. And isn't that the point of Musa? Isn't that the point of, of, of everything that we're doing here to be, to bring it, to bring the Medrash Lidei Maisa? And the Mitzvah Hashem, if we could do that, then we will be Zeicha to Yeshuas and Nechamas, be Zeicha to the ultimate Simcha, Bibiyaz Gayel Tzedek, Meher Amin Vamin. Have a beautiful Shabbos.